My name is Todd Williams. I am an active duty Army chaplain. I have been in the military for over 20 years. This is the first place that I have ever lived, longer than I'm going on five years now, and I'll be here one more year. This is the longest place I have lived in one place since I was born and raised in Michigan. Um, I left home when I was 18, just after high school. Been in the military since then. I'm Air Force Base. I went to Blackburn Air Force Base Base Academy. I went to seminary just up the road. Graduated in 2004, so I believe I read that you went to seminary too in the chat. Uh, went to Southwest Academy. Um, so it is possible that you have some of the same perspectives because I know some of mine have been there for an awful long time. Um, I do have two sons, Timothy and Ashley, 12 and 10. Uh, they might live to be 13 and 11. It's kind of 50-50 right now. Um, and my wife and I have been married for over 20 years. So, um, I am blessed to be here this morning uh, to help you all out in the not the absence of your pastors, but in the absence of the pastor being able to fulfill the pulpit and take care of the next few weeks and recover physically enough to see his way. Um, because, in my opinion, this is my opinion, which I value very much, we do not have enough ministers. We have churches out there that do not have pastors. Because we do not have people that are trained and to go into ministry full time. So, having said that, let me give you a little bit of an overview of what I'm going to do today. This may be different for you all, um, but I am going to preach this sermon in the first person. So, it'll be a little bit different. I've only done it a few times. So bear with me. Um, so this will be different. We are going, our text for this morning is Psalm 51. And we will get there in a few minutes. It is a Psalm of David. So let me go ahead and begin. Good morning. My name is David. I've been king of Israel now for 40 years. Seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. I've been king for 40 years. I don't know about this thing that you all do with re-electing a president every four years and so forth. That's foreign to my people. We're the king until we pass away. And y'all teach Sunday school stories about me. And you teach your kids about how I killed the giant. How I was the shepherd boy that came down and said, that, that face being that giant is not going to make fun of my people. How I took that one smooth stone, threw it in the giant's belly, and then I cut off his head. And that's great. I'm known as a giant slayer. I'm known as a mighty warrior. Saul, the king that I replaced, they did songs about it. You know, David has killed the thousands. Uh, Saul has killed the thousands, but David has tens of thousands. I'm a mighty warrior. I've had people when I was thirsty, some of my mighty men thought to go and get me a cup of water and bring it back to me through the battle line. 
pushed out our borders. I kicked our enemies' butts, and I pushed them back to their beyond where we needed to be. And I expanded my kingdom. We had peace. I wanted to build a temple for my God, but God wouldn't allow it. So I gathered up these teachers for my next generation to build that temple. But I don't want to talk to you this morning about that. Yes, I did great things for God. Yes, I was loved by my people. But I want to talk to you this morning about what I consider one of my greatest days. One of my greatest days, which you all don't talk about that much. I want to look at the great things I did in that church. If you want to know people, you want to be more closely aligned with God. Talk about my failures. We learn more from the failures of life than we do from the greatest things we do. But let me tell you what happened. See, one night I was not able to sleep. And so as I did, when I wasn't able to sleep, I would get up and take a walk. Trying to clear my head, think about what's been going on, and see if I can get it out of my mind by making the decisions that need to be made and the way that So I was out walking one night in my car. I was up on the roof. And I heard a commotion off in the distance. So I stopped, went over to the side of the, of the palace roof, looked out. There. Baby. If you use your vernacular, she was really bad. And I asked one of my people, who is this woman? And they told me this is Bathsheba. Something I forgot to tell you. That I wasn't where I was supposed to be. You see, my army was out fighting. This was the season for battle. And I know in your day, we've been fighting as a nation for the last, well, let's see, 2001, for about 19 years or so. And this is a military town. You have a, a large post right here. And some of y'all may be retired military or, or know someone. And know that in the Middle East, they do things differently. It's not like you, know, you thought about back when, when y'all did the, the World War thing and World War One and Two, where the fighting goes on throughout the year. No, there was times that we go out to battle. See, we don't do this crazy thing of fighting in the cold. We wait till the spring and summer. Then we go out to battle. See, in the wintertime, we go home to our family. So it was in the time that we were supposed to be out to war, but I wasn't out with my, my people. See, yes, I was a mighty man of valor. Yes, I led many armies into battle. But at this particular time, I decided that I was going to take them. So I wasn't where I was not. I wasn't where I was supposed to be. So understand, our greatest battles usually don't come, folks, when we're working hard. They usually come when we're not where we're supposed to be, not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so, since I was not where I was supposed to be, out to battle with my army. I'm up on the rooftop because I can't sleep, probably because I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And so, I'm not right. But, let me tell you, it's not just me 
because Bathsheba was not where she was supposed to be. She should have known who was able to see all of her work. Paul, that great theologian who would write later in Romans chapter 14, says, so each one so that each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Do not cause another to stumble. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. If she had thought seriously about what she was doing, she wouldn't have put temptation in my path. But understand, I'm not blaming her. Because I've already said I wasn't where I was supposed to be, so I'm taking I'm taking the responsibility for my actions. As I said, I inquire about who this is. And my servant tried to warn me. He said to me in Second Samuel eleven two, he says, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David, I know what's going on in your head, bud. I know you're the king. But dude, this guy is, this, this lady over here is his wife. However, at this time, I'm not listening to him. I'm drawn to this person. God often we encounter temptation. We push aside that still small voice that speaks to us and says, don't do this, this is not right. But because we have our eye on that temptation, we push it aside. And that's what I did. Prophet Nathan came to me later on told me a story. He came to me about a year later. Told me this story. He said there was a rich guy and a poor guy. The rich guy had a friend coming to stay the night. And the custom of it, when you have somebody come over with you, make a feast for them, feed them, take care of them. But you see, this rich guy didn't want to go out to his field and get a sheep from his field to feed the guy. He went over to the poor guy's field. He went over to the poor guy's field and took the one lamb that he had and killed it and gave it to his guest as a sheep. And then Nathan said, what should we do to this guy? I said, we should take him out Nathan put the proverbial finger in my face and said, You're that rich man. And I knew exactly what Nathan was talking about. I knew exactly what he was telling me. Nathan the prophet, a man of integrity. because of that. I had tried to cover it up for the last year. I even sent Uriah out to be killed because he wouldn't do what I needed him to do to help me cover up my sin. I sent him out into the thick part of the battle and then told the commander, leave me, back away, and let the enemy take care of me. willing to come in front of me, this king, to die that if you really made me mad, with a wave of my hand and a few words from my mouth, you'd be pushing up daisies. 
that had your head cut off and put you out in the ground. But Nathan had more fear of God than he did of me. Because he came to me. You're the one. What did I do? My shame and my guilt had caught up with me. I knew I wasn't loved. And so I wrote this song, Psalm 51, if you have in your Bible. Psalm 51, verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before you. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward part. And in a hidden part, you make room to know my Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear your joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken away may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin, and blot out all my iniquity. Call on me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. The God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken, are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you do not despise. You do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Many the laws of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer both on your altar. I started off with a personal plea for forgiveness and confession. The words I used for sin, iniquity, a powerful word, meaning the verse of quickness, which describes the fallen human nature apart from God. Transgression, actions known to be in defiance of what is wrong. Literally missing the mark. I came to know where I was, truly where I was. We need to look inwardly, decide where we truly are. But not only did I use three words for sin, I used three words to describe divine forgiveness. I asked the Lord to blot out. Letting me erase, remove from the record my sin. As Isaiah would say in 43:25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sin. That's what I was asking God for. I was also asking Him to wash me. Forgiveness can make a difference in our spoiled life. I was asking Him to put me through. The spiritual, godly, clothes washing machine so that I could come out clean. I was asking him to cleanse me, clean out the bad record, dirty contamination of a life defiled by sin. I wanted to be different. But who had I sinned against? Well, I can give you a list, but just a short one would be I sinned against Bathsheba, I sinned against Uriah, I sinned against my kingdom, 
But ultimately, I have sinned against God. I was born in iniquity. I had a sin nature. And yes, I can debate with you your thing about original sin and so forth that you all love to talk about these days, but it doesn't matter. Because we all have a sin nature from Adam. And God desires truth in our unworked hearts, not just on the surface. Right? Who you are on the inside is more important to God than what you do on the outside. Because I dare say, you have people in your churches that do a whole lot of things. They look good on the outside. Inwardly, they're like the trees that we see look greatest before the storm. But when the wind comes and the tree starts to bend and breaks and comes down, and we can see on the inside that it's rotten in the core. There are people in our churches that look great on the outside, but inwardly, What we need is for God to give us wisdom in our hidden parts, the parts that nobody sees but you. Because you know what you are like. You know what lurks in the hearts of men. Then I went on to a plea for personal cleansing. <coughs> I asked God to purge me. I literally wanted to be as if I had unsinned. Make me restore the relationship like it was before I had sinned. And how many of us, and you today, when you do something that you know is not right, do you want to go back to the way it was before? Because the way it was before you did it was much better than the way it is after. I asked him to cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop, that little plant that grew on rocks in damp places. Hyssop has three purposes in my day. It used to put the blood on the door mantles in Egypt. Before the death angel came over, killed a burning animal, dipped the hyssop in the blood, put it on the mantle of the door so that when the angel comes, he knows to pass over the house and not to take the price from that house. It was used when cleansing a leper. Take two bowls, one to be killed. The second one was dipped in the blood of the first and the hyssop, then let fly away. It was also used to forgive sins when the temple was not constructed and we were moving from one place to another. And we were not able to put the sacrifices on the altar what would happen is a red heifer was killed, the sash was put in water, a hyssop was used to sprinkle the water on that animal and release. Folks, I cannot tell you how much I wanted to be released from the effects of my sin. I wanted the relationship. Because then I went on with a plea for public contrition and restoration. Out of my experience of a deep sense of sinfulness and forgiveness by God, I experienced a deep concern for others. And folks, that's what can happen today. Because when we get right with God, we should experience such joy that we want others to experience what we have. And yet all too often, we hold it in. See, I praise God because I had been delivered from the blood guilt. The penalty of my sin was death. But I had been spared from that penalty. But folks, let me tell you, that did not relieve me from the consequences of what I had done. Because that 
child that I had conceived with Bathsheba died. And up to this point, we had made war with the countries around us and pushed them back. But from this point on, yes, I still had wars to fight, but those wars were no longer with other nations. Those wars were with my heart. From within. One of my sons, to put it mildly, slept with one of my daughters in an inappropriate manner. And then another one of my sons did not like that. And so they killed the brother. I've been run out of town. Possibly humiliated as I was. Because I had to leave Jerusalem. Because my son was taken with me. And then I came back. deeper commitment. I committed myself more to my God. As I said in the psalm, God delights more in the contrite heart than in sacrifice. Because he says, if you come to the altar with your sacrifice and hear where you're trying to get right with God, he says, if you remember you have all against your brother, what does he tell you to do? Leave your sacrifice here. Go and make it right with your brother. Then come back. I finished my psalm with a plea for national restoration. You see, a person's personal sin affects those around them. You think back to when my nation. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, you think we would have learned the first one of sending the 12 spies out. But when we got back, we sent spies out again. But no, we don't really. We sent the spies out again. Thankfully, we didn't really listen to them this time. We still went in. But we went in and we took down Jericho. Anybody want to tell me what we did? Anybody remember? We just marched around. We didn't, we didn't pull up the M1 Abrams tanks and kind of roll over. All we did was we marched around. About seven days we did it. We walked around the city. On the seventh day, we did it a few more times. Then we blew a trumpet and we all shouted. That's all we did. And the walls came down. You think we would have learned something from that? But no, no. The next place we had to go. Yeah, just a small little town. Spy came back and said, "Oh." So we sent out the, 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 the two thousand people, and what happened? 
we got our butts kicked. We had to come back and go, what the heck did we just experience? What in the world happened here, folks? So we had to look inwardly and go, what's going on here? Come to find out there was just one dude, one guy, one measly Some stuff that he liked. And he came and took it and carried it underneath his tent. And because Aiken did that, we got a bunch of people killed. Now, if you don't think sin doesn't affect those around you, not only think about all the people that were killed because of this guy Aiken. But do you know what we did to Aiken? you know what we did? Anybody know what we did to him? We killed him, and we killed his family. And we don't play around with this sin thing. Not unlike some people we got in your churches today that kind of get as close as they can to the sin thing before stepping up the line. No, we're not playing around. We're, not, we're, we're like the mafia today. We're not going to take you out. We're taking you out of family. Because that's how much we want to be right with God. So now we're for a group of Folks, each one of us has to take responsibility, not only for our own, but for the group that's around us. Because our churches today will not grow when we're sending the our churches today will not grow when we are playing around with this thing called sin. When we don't want to get fully right with God. Enough that it changes us in the inward part of where we know what we are really like. Not this whitewashed shoe money outside that looks so great, but inwardly it is wrong. And folks, the sin of one person can hamper us all. But what are some lessons to be learned from that? Well, the wrong lesson is this. God does not take sin seriously, folks. God takes sin very seriously. Another wrong lesson is God uses sinners, folks. He does, but only after they get right. Folks, there are some sins that disqualify people from a position of leadership to Christ. But God can restore. God can restore. How does God deal with sin? God promises grace that endures forever. God prizes repentance that brings change. In David's life, Shows the consequences of sin. Shows God's hatred for sin and forgiveness for weakness. And let me leave you with a few closing questions for you to think about today. Question number one Do I have a proper view of myself and my sin nature? Do you have a proper view of yourself? Do you spend adequate time confessing your sin to the Lord each day? When confessing your sin, do you identify the specific sins that you were guilty of committing? Or do you do as so many people will do, God forgive me? Praise God after having confessed your sin. D.K. Chesterton wrote a letter to the editor. The editor had posed a question. And what is wrong with the world? D.K. Chesterton wrote back to the editor. The dear editor, what is wrong with the world? 
I am. Sincerely, Jesus Christ. What is wrong with the world? I am. Because I am the same. That is my will. That I am still the same. And I don't go through a day that I do not sin. But that I do not have to confess my sins before God. Come back to Him. Well, brother, this one comes whether it's going to be a invitation. Let me implore you. I don't know where you are today, but I do know this: each one of us is a sinner in need of Savior. Whether you know God as your personal Savior. Or you do not. Chances are there are people in here that are not where they ought to be with God. Folks, let me encourage you today to get right with God. Whether it's this thing called confession that we do, or if you do not know Him as your personal Savior, I'll be down front. You want to come down front? I or somebody else we will talk to you and tell you how you might come to know God. And since I am just a visitor here and do not know who members are, folks, if you are not a member of this church and you feel like you ought to become a member of this church, you'll come down front. Somebody here will tell you how you can become a member. 